of Second Chronicles. So if you want to just turn your, your Bible to Second Chronicles, I'm not going to open up with that scripture, but we're going to go through Second Chronicles chapter 20. And if you have your Bible, open it up, and we will get there very soon. Today we begin a series entitled The Five Lies the Devil Tells Us. The five lies. And the first lie that we're going to deal with today is one that so many of us have said, have thought, have perceived, and understood to be true. But it's a lie. Now let me tell you what a lie is, first of all. A lie is something that is said that is deliberately untrue. It is being deceptive. Now, I know we all know about lies. Don't have to explain it. Don't have to expound on it. Been there, done that. Every single one of us in this room is guilty. There is not one person except I see two infants in here. Those are the only ones <laughs> who are not guilty of not telling a lie. Everybody else, guilty as charged. Amen? Man, some of you are like, <laughs> you're guilty. We're all guilty. There is a quote about lies that I, I read, and I said, oh, this is very interesting. It says, those who think that it is permissible to tell white lies soon become colorblind. You can't tell. A lie is a lie is a lie. In John 8, I want to tell you where lies come from. I'm going to read this to you. John 8, says this, For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the things, the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. So that's where lies come from. They come from the father of all lies. They come from the enemy of our soul. And the church has been deceived and been lied to. And through these, this series, we're going to expose the lies of Satan and how easy it is for us to be deceived. Because the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The only thing that can stop Satan is truth. That's it. Truth will stop him dead in his tracks. Now the danger of a lie is that most of the time when a lie is being told, we don't know it's a lie. We have no idea that somebody's lying to us. Now, if you're a parent and your, your kid tells you, you know, who ate the cookie? There was one cookie. Who ate it? Crumbs all over. Not me. I didn't eat it. The cat did. The dog ate it. You know that that's not true. But most of the time when a lie is being told, we don't know that it's a lie. What lies do is that lies conceal the truth. And that is why we're going to uncover the lies. Not that kids tell the parents. Not that you tell to your friends. Not that you even tell to your spouse. But these are the lies 
from the enemy himself, the ones that we believe. So the first lie that we're going to cover today, the lie is God will never put more on us than what we can handle. God will never give us more than we can handle. How many of you? No, I don't want to say it, but I used to believe that. I really did. You don't, have to be, you don't have to raise your hand that you did, but I'm sure most of us did. But some of you are saying, oh, my gosh. What do you mean? I said that. I've told people that. When they're in the midst of crises, I've come and put my arm around them and said, you know, God won't give you more than what you can handle. You'd be lying. You'd be lying. Sometimes we tell that to people just because we think those are comforting words. But the Bible never says that God will not put more on us than what we can handle. Where do we get it from? Where do we get that term that we use so freely and so lightly? Some of us have a distorted view of God, and we feel that he is there to make us happy. He is there to put everything together, to cause us to skip. You know, when I see kids skipping, doesn't that make you think they're happy? And that's kind of what we think, oh, I'm supposed to be skipping. And when things come into our life that don't bring happiness, and they bring us into pain, and they bring us to suffering, we immediately believe that those things are not of God. Because God is not here to make me unhappy. God is not here to put, bring pain or suffering in my life. God is here to bring me joy and peace and love and kindness. And anything else doesn't belong from God. It's a lie. The lie we believe comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it because I want you to see it. This is where we get the lie from, how the enemy distorts. Just like he distorted the word of God to Eve, he distorts the word of God to us. And we're Christians, and we're in the church, and we hear the word of God, and we're supposed to take the word and take it home and read it. But somehow, someway, the enemy still causes us to distort it. 1 Corinthians 10.13, and I'm reading it from the New Translation, and I can recite it in the King James. But it says in the New Living, it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The Bible says that there is no temptation taking you that such as is common to man. But God will make an, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What this is saying is that this is specifically temptation. It's not trials. It's not pressures. It's temptation. It has nothing to do with being overwhelmed in life. It has nothing to do with the bills and your children and your marriage and your job. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with temptation. You will, God will not put more temptation on you than you can handle. He didn't say he wasn't going to put more of life on you or more trials on you or more pressures on you. He's Paul is talking about temptation, not feeling overwhelmed. This verse says that we won't be able 
to have temptations beyond our ability to endure. How many of us have ever felt overpowered and overwhelmed by all the stuff that's going on in our life? Many times we might have said, you know what, enough. I, I can't handle this anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. And we get overwhelmed and we go through temptations, but those are two different things. They are not the same thing. When you were overwhelmed with life and when you were going through temptation, they're different. They're not the same. The Bible says that we will never have a temptation that we have to give into. You'll never be able to stand before God and say, I couldn't help it. I couldn't. It was more than what I could handle. It, that cigarette was calling me. That joint was just, I could smell it. You better get ready because if California approves this bill next week, you might be smelling it everywhere. And you're not going to be able to say, I couldn't handle it. It was more than what I could handle. It was a temptation that I just couldn't deal with. God says, excuse me, my word says I won't give you a temptation more than what you can handle. So don't come and tell me, God, I didn't give you enough strength. Don't tell me that I could not give you enough power to walk on by. You'll never be able to say to God, the devil made me do it. Because God, according to his word, will always provide a way of escape. Now, all, there's a lot of us who have been under spiritual attack at one time or another. But what we need to realize is that it is the enemy of our soul. It is Satan, the one that pulls the rug out from under us. Sometimes we act ignorant where trouble comes from. We blame everybody. It's my spouse. It's my kids. It's my boss. It's my leader. It's this church. It's my car. It's everything. But the Bible says that it's the word of God that says that the enemy, Satan, is out to kill, steal, and destroy. Not your spouse. Not your children. Not your car. Not your boss. It is everything but them. It is the enemy of your soul that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. God does not want us to be ignorant about anything. That's why we have his word. Now, this is why it's important that you need to know today that the lie of God will not give you more than what you can handle is a lie. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you will be able to see how the enemy has distorted God's word to us to make us think. Make us think that we should believe that lie. This is what Paul is saying, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. Again, I'm, living, I'm doing the New Living Translation. It says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Beyond our ability to endure. I didn't think we were going to be able to endure, Paul says. And we thought we would never live through it. Now this is Paul saying, I, don't think we, I didn't think we were going to be able to live through it. 
In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Now, somebody here today, you might have come in with a thought that I can't handle what I'm going through right now. Maybe you came in with the thought that, you know what, I'm just going to give up. You're saying, I can't handle this. I can't handle my marriage. I can't handle my finances. I can't handle my kids, my job, my family. And if God, you don't do something really soon, like immediately, I'm going to give up. I can't do this anymore. If you don't do something, I'm not going to come back to church anymore. I'm just going to walk away. Paul is saying in the scripture that I read that trials and temptations are going to come. And there are times when we might feel that they're almost too much to bear. We can't handle it anymore. We can't deal with it anymore. Satan wants you to quit. He wants you to run. He wants you to stop going forward. He wants you to just stand there and cry. That's his goal in life. And what happens is that some people do give up. And then we don't get to see the results that we should see because we're so busy crying and, and saying, God gave me more than what I could handle. God did not give you more than what you could handle. He said he would always be there with you every step of the way. He took Paul way beyond his ability to endure, and yet Paul was able to endure. Some of you are saying, I'm at my breaking point. If you only knew what I have to live with, I can't handle this anymore. This cannot be of God. This is way beyond my ability. You don't know what I've been experiencing. You don't know what I've been going through. I am there. I am at my end. I am at my just one more inch, and I'm over it. Some of you may be even doubting God and his ability to see your situation. I want to remind you that there is hope in God today and in his word that we need to understand because he will give us more than what we can handle. And you know why? Because Paul says in the scripture that we just read so that we can stop boasting about our own strength so that we can stop boasting about our own abilities and we can start boasting about his. He said, I didn't think we could endure this. I was fearing for my life, but God came through. But God rescued me, and I know he's going to continue to rescue me. Some of us rely on our strength so often that we don't even realize it until we're so overwhelmed. It's only because we've been trying to do things our own way. We all know what it's like to be thirsty. Our mouth is dry. Our throat is tight. We'll do anything for a drink of water. Doesn't matter how much the water will cost or if you have to go to the hose, drink some water, or maybe you just got to go to the bathroom and make a little cup of water with your hand. We've all been to that point at some point in time 
when you'll do whatever you need to do to take that thirst away. When was the last time that you were that thirsty for God's strength in your life? When was the last time that you were willing to do whatever you needed to do to rely on his direction and his guidance? See, God puts more on us than what we can handle so that we can come to the place where we need him more than anything or anyone else. When everything is going okay, you know what we do? We kind of put God in the corner. Say, you know what, God? Things are going so good right now. I'll be back. Just stay right there. And you just go out and you begin to enjoy the blessings. We're doing good. My marriage is good. My kids are behaving. The job is good. I even got a raise. The finances were in the black. Man, God, I am good. But what happens when all hell break lo breaks loose? What happens when your marriage hits rocks? What, what happens when your kids don't listen to you anymore? When you got a demotion at work and you also got a pay cut? Then what do we do? We start looking, oh, God, where did I put you at? I know I put you in one of these corners. <laughs> where did I put you? Today we're going to be looking at the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this is an important chapter for us to re always remind ourselves that there will be times in our life where we will experience more than what we can handle. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the story begins with Jehoshaphat, and he is the king of Judah. He is the ruler over Jerusalem, and just like his ancestor, King David, he was a godly leader. Now, if you ever take time to read through 2 Chronicles, you will find that Jehoshaphat, in, in chapter 17, it says that his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. In fact, he felt so strong about his faith in God that when he was appointed, appointing kings and priests throughout the land, he would challenge them. And he told them in, in 19.6, he says, you are not working for me. You're working for the Lord, so make sure that you follow him faithfully with all your heart. Joseph says, you know what? You're not working for me. I, I am not your boss. I am not your boss. He's your boss. And you need to be remembering every day when you come to work, he's your boss. Those of you, you have a regular job. Your boss is not your boss. You are not accountable to your boss. You're accountable to him. You say you're a Christian, you're accountable to him. You say that you want to live a Christ-like life, you're accountable to him. That boss is accountable to him, but you are more accountable to him in your attitude, in the way you talk, in the way you behave. With everything you do, you're accountable to him. And in chapter 20, we see that there's going to be problems in Jehoshaphat's life. We find that this was a country that was in peace. And they had been in peace for a long time. God had given them peace. The whole country and people of Israel. But in 2 Chronicles verse one, 20 verse 1, it says this. It says, after this, after the peace, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to make war 
on Jehoshaphat. Now, these were the people that had been enemies of Judah for hundreds of years. And now, all these three people, all these three armies were all joining together to come against Jehoshaphat. And they only had one purpose, and that purpose was to wipe the people of God off the face of the earth. They all came together, three enemies joined together to fight against the people of God. And they said, this is it. Once and for all, we're going to kill them all. No one had ever come to attack Judah like this before. Not in a long, long, long time. And because of that, Judah wasn't ready. They weren't ready to fight. They weren't ready for an attack. This was a more than what we can handle situation. It came out of nowhere. They weren't prepared for battle. They didn't even have regular exercises for their army. They weren't in war. There was no time of war. It was peace. And see, we don't foresee problems in our lives. If we did, we'd avoid them. If I could have foreseen that car coming at me a couple of months ago, I would have avoided a car crash. We don't see the money problems far off and then until we're right in the middle of it. Whatever we're in, we don't choose it, and so we get overwhelmed. In verse 2, it says, Messengers came and hold, told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This problem, the army was in the backyard. They were already there. This is a serious problem. Now, I want you to think of your Jehoshaphat. Everything's been at peace. And now, all of a sudden, you hear three enemies got all their people together, and they're in your backyard. They're ready to attack. You think you got a more-than-what-you-can-handle situation? In verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was terrified. In some of your versions, it says, alarmed by this news, and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Now this same word, alarmed or terrified in the Hebrew, is the same word that was used in Exodus 14 to describe how alarmed the Israelites were when they looked back and they saw the Egyptian army following them as they were going toward the Red Sea. They were terrified. They were alarmed. It is a word to describe someone's first reaction to an overwhelming situation. What would happen if you went to the doctor and they told you you have cancer? What would happen if you got a phone call or a letter, letter in the mail that says, we are foreclosing on your house next week? What would happen if something would, you got a phone call and it said, your child is in the hospital. That's an alarming situation. That's a terrifying situation. And that's where Jehoshaphat was. There is nothing wrong with being alarmed. Sometimes God wants us to be alarmed so we can get our attention. Sometimes we're so focused on doing what we want that we don't pay attention to God. And so things come into our life, we're like, oh, where is he at? Where's God at? Sometimes we respond by panicking. We say, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. I am way over my head. I'm not going to make it. I can't do this. And then we run. 
we quit our job, we run away, and we try as long as possible to avoid whatever situation or problem there is. Kind of like what the Israelites did with Goliath. Do you know that they avoided dealing with Goliath for 40 days? 40 days, Goliath came out and challenged the, the people of Israel. And for 40 days, they were like, oh, we're not going to look at him. We'll pretend he's not there. For 40 days, hoping that he would just walk away, hoping that he would stop. Panicking is not the way to handle overwhelming situations, and neither is being a control freak. Some of you are control freaks. You like to handle everything. Verse 3 and 4 tells us that even though Jehoshaphat was alarmed, you know what he did? He inquired of the Lord. And he calls upon the entire nation to come together for a day of prayer and fasting. When things come, and come your way, when you get those phone calls, when you get those letters, when you experience things in your life, is prayer and fasting the first thing that you do? Or do you immediately try to figure out how can I deal with this situation? What can I do? Where can I borrow the money from? Who can I call? Who can help me get out of this situation? Because Jehoshaphat says, you know what? I can't handle this. This is bigger than me. I'm going to call a day of prayer and fasting. That's what Jehoshaphat was saying. I can't deal with it. He called a fast, fast. I mean, they could have probably had a Big Mac right in the middle of their mouth. And they said, nope, the king's calling a fast. Oh, man. <laughs> they just got a big old meal at Los Dos. Nope, sorry, we're, we're on a fast. Some of you say, well, right after this. No, right before this. They went on a fast, fast. We're going on a fast in about a week, a week from tomorrow. Next Sunday, we're going to be having some uh, Daniel Fast recipes for you and, and to help you to get through the next 40 days. Because I really, truly believe that God is going to bless your life and this church when we sacrifice. We're going to go on a fast. Then the Bible says, so people from all the towns came to Judah, came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jump down to verse 12, if you're following along, and it says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Jehoshaphat is saying, I can't handle this. It's too big for me. When we get to the point of stopping to figure things out, when we get to the point of stopping manipulating circumstances, doing things in secret, then and only then will we be able to get to the point where God can actually intervene. When we take our hands off of the situation, when we say, God, I can't do this, I can't handle this, I can't deal with this, this is up to you. When we get our hands off of it, when we get all our little pea brain mind out of the situation, then God can say, now I can work with it. But some of us are just too strong. We just keep taking it and taking it and doing it and doing it. But Jehoshaphat goes before the whole nation and he says, I can't handle this. It's too big for me. Some of us who are strong need to be able to say, God, I can't handle this. 
It doesn't mean you're weak. What this means is that you're wise. You've come to the end of your resources. You've come to the end of yourself. When we're being tested by God, when we get to that point where we're overwhelmed with life and problems, when we're tested, sometimes we find ourselves angry at God. Some of you are saying, I'm not, I've never been angry at God. I have. I've been mad at God. We get mad at God when we find out that things are not in control. Ever been mad when your luggage gets lost on an airline? Ever get mad when you, when you have somewhere to go and all of a sudden you're right smack behind somebody who's driving 25 miles an hour? Ever get mad, just really mad at the things that you have no control over? We tell God, you're not fair. You're just not fair. See, I told God that. When my husband died and I was getting through my grief, I told God, you're not fair. I loved my husband. Why did you take him home? I know a lot of other women that don't like their husbands. You could have taken them. <laughs> Why did you take mine? I did. I'm just being honest. I looked around and I go, you could have taken him. She doesn't even like him. They don't even laugh anymore. They don't even have fun anymore. I had so many pity parties. So many things. Because I wanted God to be fair. And I didn't feel that I had been treated fair. Because all I did was say, why me? Why not her? Why not him? Why me? Sometimes we look at other people who sin, and they're open about their sin. And it looks like they're enjoying their life. They got money. They got the house. They got the car. They got the job. And here we are trying our best to serve God, barely making our bills, can't spend anything extra. They don't even have penny candies anymore. <laughs> we live all cramped up. And then we say underneath our breath, God, you're not fair. And we only say that God is not fair because we're not in control. When we go through things and things get too heavy for us, we also go through a time of confusion. We're confused because we thought, we thought that when we came and gave our life to Jesus, that everything that was wrong in our life is now going to be right. Everything that was messed up, God's going to turn it around. Nothing bad will ever happen to us anymore because now I'm a Christian. It's going to be different. Now, I'm not going to be criticized anymore. I'm not going to be ridiculed anymore. I'm not going to have any more pain, no more suffering, no more heartbreak. It's going to be good. And then we get confused because we still feel the pain and the suffering and the heartbreak and the hurt. What's sad is that when things are not going right in our life, people come along. People, people, people. People will come along and they will tell you two things. You know why you're going through all this in your life? Because there must be some sin. Yeah. 
There must be sin in your life. Or if you don't have sin in your life, then it must be because you don't have faith. That's people. That is not God's word. You will not be able to read in the word of God that when you go through trials and when you go through difficulties and problems, it is because there's a sin in your life or it is because you lack faith. Some people even say if you love Jesus more, your life would be smoother. But in the process, you got betrayed, you got left out, you got forgotten, you got overlooked. Everything that could go bad went bad. And now you're looking at yourself and you're saying, where's my sin? Where's my faith? You're believing the lie that if you are good and you are serving God to the best of your ability, that nothing bad will ever happen to you. It is a lie. It goes totally against the word of God. Because Jesus lived a totally sinless life. He never sinned, and yet they crucified him on the cross. He was sinless, and yet he suffered betrayal. He suffered humiliation. He suffered pain. He went through it. Paul, who loved Jesus, who was a great disciple who wrote more than half of the New Testament, he was beaten, he was robbed, he was left for dead many times. And when he died, he was beheaded. Peter, who walked with Jesus, was crucified upside down. Were they in sin? No. They died for the faith. They were followers of Jesus all the way to the end. They had a passion to serve him. And it came to the point where they gave their life for him. When bad things happen to you, it is not the cause of sin. It is not the cause of a lack of faith. It is called life. There is not a reason to point to. You don't point at other people and say, there must be something in their life. If you follow Jesus, your life may not be that bed of roses where you have a mansion and you have a, a three-car garage and a seven-carat diamond, brand-new BMW or Mercedes. What it might mean is that you might have to stay humble and you might have to learn how to be content with what you got. Can you handle that? Not only do we get angry and not only do we get confused, but sometimes when problems come our way, we get that sense of hopelessness. When we look at our life and we absolutely hate it because inside everything is falling apart. I don't know how you live, but I do know this, that God is there in your home. Sometimes we come to church and we want to tell people, you don't know how I'm living. You don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't know what I'm going through. You hate it. You hate your life. Some of you have even had thoughts of suicide. That young boy that committed suicide by jumping off the George Washington Bridge because his life was exposed on Facebook. How many young people are experiencing thoughts of suicide because their lives are being torn apart. If you saw it coming, you would have avoided it. That 
pain that you have been feeling, the doctor says, it's worse than you thought. That lump that you have, it's worse than you thought. The cough that you have, it's worse than you thought. You didn't see it coming. Your spouse, after 20 years, finds somebody younger, and they decide to walk away. Your kids are involved in gangs, and involved in drugs, involved in premarital sex. You never saw it coming. Some people are even despairing of their life. I've been there. Times when I just told God, you know what, just take me home. Just take me home. I, I'm ready. I am ready. It would be better, God, if you just took me home. I know what it feels like to smile on the outside and be dying on the inside. I know many of you know that feeling too. But I want you to know how to get out of that mindset. You got to get out and you got to get moving. You got to get out of yourself. You want to know how to get out of it? Remind yourself today it's not about you. It's about him. There are people, believe me, that are in worse situations than you're in. Situations that you may experience that are hard. But you got to get out of yourself. Go win a soul for Jesus. Go talk about Jesus to somebody. Because I want to let you know something. That it doesn't matter how you feel about your life today. I want to remind you, God isn't finished with you yet. Your life isn't over. I'm so glad God hasn't answered some of my dumb prayers. So glad. So many of your dumb prayers, too. In verse 13, it says, All the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. Now, I want to speak to the men of the house just really quickly on this scripture. Because as a man of the house, or as maybe you're the single parent, you're the mom and the dad, what is the most important thing for your children? To learn how to pitch a ball? To learn how to do gymnastics? To learn how to do ballet? Because in life, they're going to experience some difficulties. There's going to be days in your children's lives when all hell is going to break loose. And what is the thing that you want them to be able to deal with? Oh, they, they knew how to pitch a ball. Oh, they knew how to dance ballet. Or do they know how to love God? Do they know to run to Jesus when their little life is falling apart? Sometimes their lives are falling apart in 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 years old. But if all you're doing is investing in them so that they can learn how to pitch and they can learn how to dance and they can learn how to do all of these things, but you never teach them how to love God. You never teach them about the Word of God. You never teach them who to run to. You never teach them those things. Believe me, when all hell breaks loose in their life, and it will, you're going to see them crumble because you didn't teach them what to do when life gets overwhelming. In verse 14, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, Listen, 
all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours. It is God's. It is the Lord's. Listen, listen, listen. You got to get this into your spirit this morning. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Whatever your battle is, whether it's for your health, whether it's for your marriage, your children, your job, your finances, your family, anything that fits in this verse, this morning, the battle is not yours. It is God's. And this is what you need to do. In verse 16, it says, Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jeruel. You know what I like about this scripture? God knew exactly where the enemy was. It was no surprise to him. He told them, this is where they're at. He knew it. And in verse 17, it says, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem and Victory Outreach Hayward. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. You need to go on and move forward. The Lord is with you. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me. All you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. You know, Jehoshaphat didn't even have a game plan. He didn't have a strategy. He didn't know what he was going to do. All he knew was one thing and one thing only, that God said it was going to be okay. God said it was not his battle. God said, I don't have to deal with this. God said the battle was his. I don't have to get involved. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to manipulate circumstances. I don't have to borrow money. I don't have to do anything. I just have to let God do the battle for me. And that's what you need to do in your life. You need to get like to the point of Jehoshaphat where you say, the battle is not mine. It is God. Stop fighting. Stop battling. Stop manipulating. Stop being in control. Let God do the battle for you. All Jehoshaphat knew was that he needed to go forward and march toward the enemy. And that's what's wrong with some of us. Because in sports, when a player plays hurt, and we're seeing a lot of that in football and even in baseball and especially in hockey. We see all of these players, they get hurt. And if they bounce right back up, what does the crowd do? They cheer. Yeah! Because you know he's hurt. You know he got, you know, hit in the head. Or you know that he, he should be lying down. But it's a sign of strength. And immediately they're given that respect and a standing ovation. And they go out and they play against their enemy no matter how they feel. But then we come to church and we say, oh, they hurt my feelings. 
they didn't shake my hand. They didn't invite me to get involved. We don't play defense anymore. We're supposed to be playing offense. We're supposed to be marching toward the enemy, not, oh, they hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm not going to come back. We play offense. Verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed. Now, this, check this out, worship team. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, King Jehoshaphat, he didn't put soldiers. He didn't put archers. He didn't put the arrows with the fire. He didn't put the horses in the front. He put the worship team in front. The worship team. You know what he was saying? He said, you know what? I have a military. I have horses. I have archers. I have men who know how to fight. But they are not the ones that are going to be leading this army. I want the worshipers, not the warriors. I want the worshipers, not the ones who feel that they know how to handle things. I have so much faith in what God said that I am going to put the singers in front of the soldiers. I'm going to put the worshipers in front of the warriors. Now, where are you at today? Where are you at? Because you're supposed to be a part of the worship. You're supposed to be a part in the front. Now, if I was one of those singers, I don't think I would be. Cause, but, but if I was one of the singers, I would absolutely think, you know, I think the king has got more faith in God than I do. I don't know. I, you know what? I think I'm going to call in sick today. I, I, yeah, <coughs> I, can't, <coughs> I can't sing today. But the king said, have faith in the Lord. Have faith. So the entire army was walking behind the worship singers. While the worship singers were singing, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Sometimes the only thing that we can do when we're so overwhelmed, the only thing that we can do is to worship, is just to praise him. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes you would say, this is more than what I could handle. God says, worship me. But I can't handle this. Worship me. Everyone was excited but the worship team. But they were praising. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. How come we never give up on God when all the blessings are coming? We never give up on God when we get that fat paycheck. We never give up on God when we get a blessing of a brand new car. We don't give up when we get a brand new job. We don't give up when somebody blesses us with money. We're saying, oh, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. And we're all happy we got pep in our step. But when things are not going right, when things just don't turn out, when we're not getting blessed anymore, when things start caving in, that's when we begin to doubt God's faithfulness and goodness. How many of you can sing that song today? Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. In verse 22, we're getting ready to close. At the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. Not grumble and criticize, but they began to sing and give praise. Not give up, 
But they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. God fought the battle for them. In the midst of their struggle, they praised God and he moved on their behalf. They praised, God moved. They worshiped, God won the battle for them. The Lord can cause confusion. And this army ended up attacking each other instead of attacking the people of God. Some of you are fighting battles at work. Some of you are fighting battles at home. Some of you are fighting battles within. And you need to stop fighting the battles. You need to back off and you just got to worship and you just got to praise and say, you know what, God, I give my boss to you. I give that supervisor to you. I give my family member to you. I give my spouse to you. I give my teenager with that rotten attitude to you. I give all of the things to you because I can't handle it. And you begin to worship and you begin to praise and God will work it out. God will work it out. See, this chapter started with a situation that Jehoshaphat couldn't handle. It started with something that he said, this is too big for me. I can't handle it. But they, all the way to the end, found themselves walking and worshiping. Walking and worshiping. Worshiping and walking. When everything was falling apart, when they thought this army was going to overcome them, worshiping and walking. Some of you came in today, you know, you probably don't, you, you really didn't need this message because you just came out of a trial. You're, you're just singing, I'm so glad. But know this, you may have just been coming out of a trial, but get ready. Because you're going to go right back into one. Because you're either in a trial, in the middle of a trial, or coming out of a trial. You get a little bit of a breather when you come out. You're like, that's it. And then you got to go right back in. You go right back in. In 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul pleaded with God three times to take his thorn in the flesh away. And God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. See, God loves you so much that he wants to hear your voice in prayer. He wants to handle those overwhelming situations in your life. He wants to have that intimate relationship with you. And there's one thing that I have learned, and that is when me or my family are under attack from the enemy, I fast and I pray. Some of you may not even understood the attacks of the enemy in this church, but that's why I scheduled all night prayer on Friday, and we have another one scheduled for next month. That's why we're going into fasting, because there are a spiritual warfare that is going on. Some of you think it's only you. No, it's not just you. There is everybody here who is going through a spiritual attack. There is the church that is under attack. And God is waiting for us to make a move. 
He is waiting for us to fast. He is waiting for us to give up something. Some of us need to give up more than food. Some of us need to give up texting. We need to give up that phone. We need to give up the TV. Sometimes we walk into the house and we don't even say hello to anybody. Immediately, the TV goes on. And when we pray, we need to follow the example of the Judean army and praise him. Praise him. Too many times we spend time before God asking him for everything, what we want, and not enough time worshiping him. We need to say, I praise you because your love endures forever. The pain that you're experiencing in your life right now, you may think it's going to kill you. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you it isn't. Because God will give you more than what you could handle. But his strength is made perfect in our weakness. There are things in our lives that will kill us. But I'll tell you this, God is able to deliver us. He is able to deliver us when we worship and walk, when we walk and worship. Paul said that what he learned through the process of all the pain he endured was that God was able to be trusted. God could be trusted to deliver us from the pain of yesterday, the pain of today, and the pain of tomorrow. God can do the impossible. When he gives you more than what you could handle, all you have to do is remember, you're never alone. You're never alone. He'll never leave you to fight any battle alone. Stand with me this morning. I want your heads bowed and your eyes closed.